This episode of Swim Talk A2B has been sponsored by EddieReeseBook.com. The inspiring and enlightening book about legendary coach Eddie Reese would make a perfect holiday gift for any swimmer, coach, or swimming parent, or anyone else desiring to have a more meaningful and impactful life. Order now at EddieReeseBook.com. That's EddieReeseBook.com. Hello and welcome to Swim Talk. I'm Dana Abbott coming to you from my fair city of Katy, Texas, situated in the sunset direction from Houston. And I'm joined by our co-host, Bob Button, sitting behind the microphone in his secure underground bunker about 70 miles south of here in beautiful Bay City, Texas. How's it going in the city near the bay today, Bob? As always, it's never better. Bob, we've got a special guest today from Rochester, New York. Tell us something about him. Well, he's uh, he's actually from a bedroom community of uh, Rochester, Victor, New York. Uh, Mike Murray is uh, is in Victor right now, and uh, it's been beautiful up there lately. They've had weather in the 70s, which is unheard of in November. Uh, how you doing, Mike? We're doing great. We had a brisk, chilly morning this morning, 37 degrees from the pool deck, but we had a, a nice 8,000-yard workout to get our day going. All right. My daughter, Savannah, is a sophomore at Denison, and she's just about ready to swim the 200 breast. They've had an interesting preseason where you know a lot of the social distancing rules and um, all of the, the policies, procedures, and protocols to follow. They've actually had a great fall, even though it's been different. So Greg Perini and Kellen Beckwith, the coaches there, have really done a wonderful job getting these girls ready. And these first couple events that I've watched, just outstanding. I think, you know, for a Division three school to have four girls under 51.5 right now is pretty darn good. Yeah. In November. <laughs> yeah, that's real good. And we were discussing earlier uh, the old school uh, thought of, of just, Hey, swimming through all these meets, you know, and now we're forced to just train because there's just not very many racing opportunities. And when we do get a racing opportunity, our, our kids are swimming pretty fast. So, uh, maybe these folks will listen to us and, and not want to rest for every little meet. I think there's a lot of fun and innovative ways to get things done. I was talking to Todd Schmitz a, a few weeks ago and he was talking about how, you know, their practice time has gone down to about 90 minutes where they used to be training 120 and the kids love it. They're getting great work out of it. They're going to some meets that they're hosting themselves that are, you know, two, two and a half hours long. The kids are swimming three events in their home, you right. know, and, and maybe that's something that we look at uh, as an organization moving forward. Because for years and years, we've had these kids sitting on pool decks for four to six hours waiting to swim three events. So, you know, I think through the pandemic, we're learning a lot. We're learning a lot watching the ISL and seeing the development of that and watching these athletes swim faster and faster week after week. You watch guys like Petey and Lily King and what Caleb's doing and mm -hmm. uh, Barrel Gastrodello right now. It's it's amazing. And at, at 22, 23 years old, guys, they're going faster at every single meet. And they're getting they, up 
doing the skins thing, uh, getting up with just a little rest and swimming back to back and still going fast. Ryan Murphy is a walking lactate test set. <laughs> I mean, it's unbelievable. Yeah. I think that one of the, the questions that legacy coaches would ask, yeah, but how good are they at the 200 and longer? That's right. Okay. Okay. That's right. Yeah. And one thing, if people know about our program, as my daughter just had, I think her in-season best unshaved 200 breasts right now is 221. So good. All right. All right. We'll take it. We'll take yeah, that early. Savannah. Yeah. You know, I I think for us, like I miss watching an 800 freestyle. Uh, our daughter Michaela, who's over there, um, she's a, a longer distance person, so she's you know getting some good experience racing some 200 flies and 200 IM. She's a uh, really a 400 IMer, but I'd love to see the 800, you know, and and we're seeing a lot of great 400 freestyles over there, but you're right. You know, would we see that event continue to progressively get faster week to week? Yeah, it's uh, not a made for TV event, is it? That's right. This uh, going shorter training uh, leads us to the question of, you know, are we training smarter now instead of harder because it used to be well if, if you're and, and volume wise too it used to be like well if you're going to go ten thousand a day we're going to go twelve thousand and if you're going to go 10 sessions a week we're going to go 11. is that producing a point of diminishing returns is there a sweet spot it's such a great question and a lot of people are afraid of it right we're afraid of this conversation but what, what i've learned in the last couple of years especially is that when a coach is confident about the programmatic response that they have to the type of training environment that they create, their group is going to be successful. And I'll give you an example in a number of different ways. You have coaches today, like a Chuck Batchelor, like a Ron Aiken out in Sandpiper, Nevada. These guys might still be getting up to 60, 70, 80,000 yards or meter weeks when they're in peak volume training. Then you'll see other groups, you know, like uh, Canyons um, and, and some other club teams, Scottsdale, who they may never see more than 25,000 yards a week. And those kids are crushing it too. Mm-hmm. And I think that if your coaching staff believes in the work and they get the athletes to be inspired by the work, then you're going to have a good result. Ultimately, I'm starting to realize that we can do a lot of quality in the scale of doing less than what we might traditionally think was what you needed to do. I had a great discussion with Chuck Warner about this uh, about six or seven weeks ago, and we kind of came to the same conclusion that it really comes down to the belief system that you create within your program. Yeah, not wanting to offend anybody from PETA, but isn't this sort of proving that there is more than one way to skin the cat? <laughs> well, you know, that was that was one of the um, arguments or the opposition to the growing popularity of USRPT. It okay. flew in the face of traditional volume and uh, duration training. And yet we're seeing, and, and they're saying, well, Michael Andrew, you know, he's, he's an anomaly. He's an outlier. I think with the longer distance, I'm, I'm not sure that the shorter training is going to help. In high schools, they probably love it because uh, high school events are, you know, there's only one event longer than a 200. That's right. And there's, only, and there's only two 200s, and everything else is a 50 or a 100. So all the relays, there's nothing longer than a 100. So this, this might be just fine for the high schools. When we talk about the, the, uh, 
the training, the volume. You you could throw in dry land with it. You could throw in uh, how much your volume is kicking and and race pace and all that stuff too. So yeah, these these different programs, the volume is just just one of the variables. Uh, like you say, if if you're really a believer in in uh, these other parts of your program, then you're going to be okay. I really think so, guys, and I I think that. You know, your job as a coach is to make the training relevant to the athletes that you have. And I think their point is exactly right, because high school, that type of training fits the model that you need. And right now, you know, in our program, if you ask our kids in our senior prep and our senior group, how does Coach Mike and Coach Scott uh, and Coach Karen, how do they classify the 500? And our kids will tell you it's a sprint. So we, we try to really reframe the way that kids are thinking, because if you ask a lot of the high school athletes in our area, oh, the 500 is a distance event. Well, I'm here to tell you that if you look at the NCAA results <laughs> and you take a look at the 200 split, you better be 140 point if you want to have a chance in that last 100. So you better be out really, really fast. And to be able to do that, you know, you better be doing some some combination sprint and middle distance training. Mike, I think what you said about reframing the context of, of or the concept of of the 500, uh, you say distance, and immediately you get resistance. And That's right. A lot a lot of kids, a lot of swimmers, uh, consider distance uh, a four letter word. It's eight letters, but they consider it a four letter word. But you say sprint. Oh man, we love to sprint. That's right. And, and it's, it's the contextual framework of, of what you set up. So for me, I, I had kind of always been thinking that way. And I was sitting on a couch in 2012, and I was watching Katie Ledecky in the 800 freestyle. And I said, she just turned this event into a middle distance event. The 800 and the 1,000 and the way we train for it has got to be different. And so it really changed the way that the staff and I approached race strategy for our 500 and 1,000 freestyles, our 400 and 800-meter freestyles. And so, you know, for me, it was this aha moment that I had kind of been building to. And then we started to completely change the way that we approached those races. So getting away from maybe uh, building and, and even splitting, things like that, what, uh, what are you telling your kids now? We like clear water. We like to get out in clear water and, and we like to operate from the pilot seat, so to speak. So creating the ability for these athletes to understand that they can rely on their training for the back half. We want them stepping up on the blocks, understanding that the people to the right and the people to the left haven't done what you've done. And that's a point that you can jump off of into your race with confidence and race knowing that if you take it out all out and it's your best effort, somebody's really going to have to work that back half to come back on you. You know what you just said about having confidence in your training and preparation is exactly what Dave Wharton said in a podcast earlier this season, and it helped him prepare mentally for racing the top IMers in the world at his Panpack breakout meet in 1989. It's very important. We also equip them with the idea that there are days where you're going to get caught. Don't mm-hmm. be afraid of that day. 
Because that day is just going to turn into a learning experience. So be aggressive in in training, and then you can be aggressive in your racing. I think it's a very simple thing to lay out for them. And when I was a younger coach, because I was so excited about learning from you know, from you guys, from all those great coaches that, that came before us, I wanted to make things really complex. <laughs> Maybe Dana. <laughs> you know, uh, I, wanted to, I wanted to use color systems with the 10 and unders. I wanted them to understand. And then, it, you know, the older I get, the simpler our practices become and the easier they are to understand. I gotcha. Hey, uh, we mentioned, you mentioned, uh, the high school program. Uh, tell us about the cooperation between club and high school uh, programs in Victor. You share facility, you share athletes. Yes. And we're incredibly lucky because we've had consistency with both staffs. So my best friend and uh, the associate head coach of our club, Brett Leader, is the head varsity coach. So it's really seamless. Um, and, and we are very fortunate. Now, I will tell you, that we didn't always enjoy the situation that we have right now. <laughs> New York is very parochial. It's very rah-rah, high school is king, which is great for our sport. It brings mm-hmm. so many athletes to our sport. We get into some trouble sometimes when you have an athlete who makes junior nationals or you have an athlete who qualifies for the U.S. Open and those meets fall inside of the same season, sometimes within the same weekend as right. a championship meet. So it really comes down to educating local coaches, bringing local coaches into what we're doing. You know, there are times where we have athletes that, in my opinion, their goals have graduated beyond what high school swimming is capable of, of giving them. And the athletes that we've had who have made that choice have really benefited from that. We also have athletes who want to make that choice. And we say, let's let's pump the brakes here because high school swimming could be a really great way for you to continue your development. So I think it's important that you try to create that balance. You, you try to create that cooperation. It doesn't always work. It can be contentious. But it's something that we talk to our parents about before long before the kids even start JV swimming. So the the conversation this, you know, in 2020 is a heck of a lot easier than it was in 2012. (laughs) Right. Well, you know, back in the day, this is back in the 90s, we had that issue down here in Texas. We had uh, a long season. Our, Our girl and boy high school seasons went into March. And you, I don't know if you remember, that's back when juniors and seniors was in March. And, and our state right. age group championships tags was in March. And we had a lot of conflict. Uh, and then our season got shortened, and that kind of went away. Uh, we had a lot better cooperation since then. We still have some issues in the December juniors. Sometimes you'll have a local school district that might have a huge invite that they host and they love to to build that up and i mean my son actually had to miss junior nationals one year because our local district said you will attend our invite and not go to junior nationals and as the high school coach i had to suck it up and say okay what's best for the isd is what we'll do that wasn't easy and and you're right. Those those things are are uh, tough because it would have been better for him to go to the junior national meet than the uh, 
ISD invite. So uh, we have had the same thing in Texas, and I know it happens in New York. I'm wondering, Dana, you're more familiar with the Illinois state uh, meet because you've been an announcer up there for diving. Do they have that issue up there? They don't have the issue because they don't allow it. During the high school seasons, club swimming is not permitted uh, concurrently. So Illinois, they're just getting ready to finish the girls' season. So the boys have been able to swim club through right now, and they don't do any high school training. As soon as that girls' state meet concludes next week, the boys come in, and then the girls go on that no high school thing. And so they, they don't really have that kind of an issue. And Mike, New York does allow the kids to swim concurrently, don't they? They do. They do. It's interesting in New York because some school districts might have their own institutional rules, and that's not always easy to work around. Some coaches might not allow their athletes to swim in club meets. Um, They might have team rules that that prohibit that. So, you know, there's challenges there. Yeah. The other thing is, you have the girls' season in the fall and then the boys' season in the winter. So the, the troublesome part of the season is you get the kids back from junior nationals the second week of August. You might have had a great summer. The girls really don't have any break. They go right into varsity preseason. So maybe they get four or five days max. The boys, you know, they'll get a nice chunk of three weeks off. They start swimming. And by the time you get to junior nationals, they're going lifetime bests. Where the girls, when we take them to juniors, they're on their third taper. So they tapered for their high school sectional meet. They tapered for their high school state meet. And those two championship meets, prelims and finals, are on different days. So it's almost like four competition. And so by the time you get to juniors, if you haven't seen some of your girls in a while, you know, they might be removed from any type of training that you've been doing. So that can make it a challenge. Then the boys finish junior nationals, and then their high school state meet is in March, and then you're trying to ask them again to represent the club at the LSC championships or the Speedo sectionals. So it's a real grind for our athletes here when they do both. Hey, how about the the Niagara LSC right now? Uh, What are you guys doing for meets now that everything's moving indoors up north? So I will tell you both that Victor Swim Club, we're training outside exclusively Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Saturday. We're only inside two nights a week. It's been up in the 70s up your way lately. We lucked out this past week. For the most part, the facilities that have teams that are exclusive to school districts, so teams that rent from rec centers and things like that, they're able to have closed meets, time trial meets, but the rest of us are are just waiting for this thing to end. Can't go to the U.S. Open because if we came back, we'd have to quarantine for two weeks. That's the New York thing, yep. Yep. Um, so we, you know, we are... We're doing on our team what we call the Victor Grand Prix. So one day a week, we pick three or four events and the kids put some fast suits on and they race. And and we're seeing some lifetime bests off of a push. We don't have starting blocks. Huh. So uh, (laughs) we're we're doing what we can. You know, the kids, uh, God bless them, are staying excited and enthused. Good. And, Good. and uh, you know, we're just trying to make the best of a challenging situation. 
Well, we're, we're not doing a whole lot better. Uh, I'm not able to, my high school kids right now, we're, uh, we're actually hosting a little time trial meet tomorrow. Uh, we've, we've, we've been limited in Texas to nothing more than a try meet. Uh, no invitationals in high school right now, uh, duels and try meets. And, uh, if I'm hosting a, tr- a time trial, like I'm going to do tomorrow, it's got to be no more than, uh, two other teams and it can't be JV and varsity. It can't be junior high and high school. It's got to be just one level. So I'm just having one high school team come in tomorrow. We're going to swim some time trials. And then when everybody's gone, I'm going to let my junior high kids swim a few time trials. So uh, club-wise, our parent club up in uh, Houston, Shack, he's got an outdoor pool. It's very safe. It's uh, He hosts some meets. Gilbert's great. Uh, our kids go up there and swim some uh, meets once in a while. And like you said earlier, um, you know, maybe it's three events, not a whole lot of rest in between. Get up and race. Go loosen up. Get up and race again. Go loosen up. Uh, within a few hours, we're done. And I think it's pretty good. Uh, like you said, uh, we're not having kids sit around for four or five hours just for three swims. I think we're learning a lot, like you said, about maybe how to run some better meets. I think so. And, and please tell Gilbert I said hello. He All right. We're on a couple national select camp staffs together. He's a great guy. Isn't he? I, he, I still wonder. He treats me so well. I don't. I never did anything good for that man. But he treats me great, and and my kids great. We were really lucky to hook on with him. I just got a small, tiny group in a great little town, in in a great little pool. Uh, but uh, Gilbert kind of took us in. We're we're a little small satellite program with him, and uh, our kids go up and swim a little long course with him once in a while, and uh, he treats us great. Hey, with chlorine. I, and UV sanitizing the water, uh, pool's the safest place to be. Uh, how's the district feel about keeping your program in the water? We are cut out of all school district facilities. We are, uh, we are in a yellow zone, as mm-hmm. deemed by Governor Cuomo. So we, we have not been in our home pools. We have two satellite locations. We have not been in our home pools since March of 2020. We trained... In Canandaigua Lake, one of the Finger Lakes, beginning the last the buoys, huh? Yeah, the last week of May, (laughs) and and we swam out there until three, four weeks ago in wetsuits. Our club teams down here have been out of the high school pools for the same amount of time. Uh, We haven't been to an indoor pool since uh, March, so and it doesn't look like we're going to be getting back in in November and maybe not December either. We just don't know. Yeah, I'm. I'm thinking, gentlemen. We're probably looking at April 2021. Our kids better not complain about being outdoors. We are so fortunate. <laughs> well, it's yeah. not the kids. It's <laughs> The kids aren't the ones who are cold. It's the people that are on the deck. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, That's right. We're, we're lucky. We are very lucky. I remember swimming in that Auburn pool. Maybe one day a week, Mr. Beaudry would take us over to Auburn. And in the middle of summer, that pool was so cold. How are you guys uh, going to be able to keep heat in some of these pools? Some of the country clubs, probably all around the country, but here in Rochester, were particularly hit hard by the the pandemic. And so they were looking for a partner to help them through this. And we partnered with two local country clubs, one of them agreeing to allow us to train right now through January 1. It's a four and a half lane by measurement pool. It's 24.8 yards. And so we got some people together on our team 
to donate some tarps, some some solar covers, some thermal blankets. Uh-huh. And we the kids are covering the pool every night. We we got some grounded Home Depot light units that some of our membership donated. So we turned this country club facility into a training pool. And my associate head coach, Scott Wisner, calls it Spartan training. And so we have a great time and, and we look at it as, you know, the, these kids are going to have memories that last a lifetime from this year, just based on what we did in the lake and yeah. uh, what we've been doing in these pools. That's incredible. And it's great. I'm glad you guys were able to do this. How about the other teams in your area? Are they able to do things like that? I know I know Gilbert has picked up some kids from other programs. He's not recruiting, but some of these other programs in the Houston area are losing some kids just because there's no place to swim. Are, are you guys picking up some kids here and there because you are able to swim? Yes. And that for us, I was very concerned about that. We're in our area, you know, just as a result of the, the good fortune that we've had with the incredible families and athletes who have come through and done a really good job. You know, we can kind of be the Darth Vader uh, of our LSC. Yeah, you don't want to do that at all. Right. But uh, hey, people, people want to swim. So uh, about three months ago, we were approached by another small team um, to see if if we would be open to the idea of merging and, and ultimately what ended up happening was they, they dissolved their 501 C three and because they had paid their yearly dues, we, we uh, encouraged them to come to our team. Um, And so it was a team called surge. Uh, It had a lineage that went back a very long time, a very proud membership and, and they have embraced the Victor way and, what we call the work works nation. And, um, they are now, (laughs) they're now loving it and they're great teammates and our kids really accepted them. So it's, it's been a really smooth transition thus far. Excellent. A membership elected you to the ASCA board. I wanted to get to that in September. What have you been working on with the folks at ASCA so far? You know, I'm so humbled and honored by that. I was encouraged by one of my former coaches who I gave a tremendously difficult time to as his athlete, Chuck Warner, and and my friend, Dave Gibson. So I, I was very humbled by that. But uh, it's an exciting time. And I know you guys just had Bill on, and, and I've gotten to know Bill very well in the last three weeks. My goal for my job within the organization is to really connect young coaches back to ASCA. And, and one of the ways that I'm going to do that is by engaging people with our social media uh, and with a YouTube channel that I launched seconds before I came on with you guys tonight. <laughs> All right. Send so, us a link to that. Okay. I will. Uh, you might remember when, when I was a young coach, there used to be a program called Lessons from Legends. And it was like a weekly quote in the newsletter. And when I was in my early 20s, I, I read that thing two or three times front to back on, on a recommendation from Chuck. Chuck said, Mike, you know, if you want to be a good coach, you, you got to start your reading. Now, Chuck has and you guys probably know this. Chuck has like libraries of swimming world that go back to the first edition. I mean, I don't think he's missed a single publication of anything throughout the years. And so I remembered those lessons from legends really resonating with me. And so now we're going to do it digital. So I just released our first one, and it's one that's near and dear to my heart because it was my my daughter's coach at NC State, Braden Holloway. Um, and so it's just 
16 to 28 second clips of really good stuff. And, and the first one is, if you know anything about NC State, it's all about the staff energy. So that's the first one. And, you know, you can go to our YouTube channel and see it. Cool. Hey, you're dropping some names Dana's real familiar with. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I, yeah, I, I actually did. Uh, I worked um, Wolfpack Swim Camp uh, for a week one summer with Braden when he was still a swimmer at NC State when uh, my former colleague at Texas, Scott Hammond, was the head coach there. Yes. And, and I was talking with Chuck Warner this afternoon, and he said, well, be sure you ask him what has changed since he swam for your old friend Chuck Warner at Rutgers University. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, lots changed, and and bless Chuck for putting up with me. Uh, I gave him a very difficult time, and he was very <laughs> patient, and 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 you know held me accountable. Uh, really, in my life, one of the first coaches to hold me accountable, and it it really it set me on a path that that would ultimately you know lead to to going into coaching. So to answer your question, I I think the biggest thing that's changed is that. We're starting to look at parents as partners. And for a long time, I think one of the mistakes that we made in this business from a marketing standpoint is we, we rarely thought of the parents as our customers. And, and at times, we even thought of many of them as adversary. Absolutely. And, and I think that that's one of the biggest changes uh, in our sport. And I think the clubs that you see that do things extraordinarily well embrace that mentality. We had a, our very first podcast uh, that Bob and I did back in, early in the summer was, was with John Vogel of the Woodlands. And wow. John had wonderful things to say about the family aspect uh, at the Woodlands and how it was, it was not the coach and the swimmers. It was the coach and the swimmers and the parents. And you, you nailed it. You, if you don't have the parents behind you and you don't engage them and involve them, uh, you cannot be nearly as successful as the other way around. It's so true. And this day and age, you know, you hear a lot of coaches and teachers say, you know, the parents, the helic. you read articles all the time. The, the Now the new term, the lawnmower parents or the snowplow parents. We don't have any of those snowplow parents down <laughs> they, here. Uh, <laughs> you know, I, I, I'm a big believer in that they only get that way if you allow them to. You know, if, if, if you're day one educating or, or you're not afraid to say, hey, you know what, come come to a practice. And uh, what I'm going to do today is I'm going to make you a, a parent advocate and you're going to follow me on the deck today. You know, we'll get you USA swimming. We'll get your safe sports certification. And you're going to you're going to spend a week with me on deck. You know, if, if you're not afraid to do that wow. and, and you're willing to invite people in. You know, at Victor, we have this program called the Parent Volunteer Lifeguard Program, and it's a big budgetary line item every year because we don't spend any money on lifeguards, and we let the parents reinvest their time against their tuition. So we have a staff of 22 volunteer parent lifeguards who we certify, and every time they uh, they cover one of our workouts, some money comes off of their tuition, and they get That's to see practice great. up and personal. That is sharp. Hey, uh, with the pandemic, that stuff's probably not happening a whole lot, but once it's over, that's great. That's a great idea. 
Yeah. And they're, they're even doing it inside of the pandemic, guys. So, you know, masked what? up and, uh, you know, we're, we're all masked up the entire practice. And uh, they're, you know, they come and they're always excited. They're always excited. And it, it, it lets them, you know, for some of our parents, it, it gives them a little extra time to spend with the kids. Yeah. Well, I'm an old school coach that was that was and maybe still am. I don't know about you, Dana. I, I've been trying to get away from being such a control freak. And uh, it's it's just I'm hard sorry. Can to... you can you back up and say that again? I want to make sure we get that recorded. Yeah. Uh, OK, I was and probably still am a control freak. OK, I admit it. Uh, but I'm trying real hard. Uh, and, and it's and the thing that's helping me is that I just can't do it all. I don't have time. The 13 hour day is killing me. Right. So uh, I'm starting to learn uh, to to. Uh, and Dana is the one that told me this, Mike, one time he said, uh, not delegating is like not sharing. And, and I don't want to be selfish. Well, uh, we were going to make yard signs this year, and uh, I just couldn't find the time to do it. This would, that would have been something I'd have done myself years ago. And so the kids and the parents did it. They did it way better than I could have. And and years ago, I would have been such a control freak. I wouldn't let anybody touch it. And yeah. uh, so I, th- I think you're right. Getting the parents involved and, and getting them to help and do things for, for their kids and for, for, for the program is great. And, and I just need to do a lot more of it. And, and uh, I think that any other old time coaches like me that are control freaks, we need to let loose of the reins some more. Yeah. And that's a, that's a hard thing to do. Right. So one of the big topics in our profession right now is coaches, health and wellness. And I've, I've been talking to a lot of practitioners lately, whether they've been on our show and fitter and faster coaches corner or, you know, wherever we've been doing them. And the biggest thing is our coaches are on deck without the pandemic, maybe four to six hours a day. And now with the pandemic, we ha- I have colleagues who are eight to 10. You know, you have to have the skill set to let go. You have to have the skill set to delegate. Um, I love that quote that uh, that that Dana said that uh, not not delegating is like not sharing. I mean, that that's so true. I I, so, you know, for me, the coach's health and wellness piece and understanding when to let go is a real challenge for a lot of people, myself included. But I'm learning that if if you don't do that, boy, you're going to get exhausted and tire yourself out pretty quickly. I think you hit on a, a topic that we are going to have to cover a little more, and that is uh, coaches' health and well-being. We are stretched, and it, for me, it's it's because I'm teaching and coaching, and 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 you know I'm only coaching one a day right now. Uh, in the summer, it was two a day, but but we could handle that without the teaching. The the coaches, like you said, that are putting in a lot more time on deck right now, and family issues, and pandemic, and you know. Uh, it's just really, really stressful for, for these guys and girls that are coaching. And, and I'm worried about them. I really am. And I don't know what, what we're going to do. Coach, has Aska got some good ideas? Uh, uh, what do you think? We have a really great program in our LSC that I, I would like to bring up to Aska. And I know that Bill is actively engaging several different people to incorporate some of this into our into our training and maybe even into some of our new certification programs that we're looking at. 
our LSC that was led by our age group chair, who, who's a wonderful young coach, Danny Richards, put together this AWI, and it's the Athlete Wellness Initiative. And it sparked something in my mind that we need a CWI, we need a Coaches Wellness Initiative. And so I've engaged Samantha Arsenault Livingstone a little bit, and she came back to me with a course called uh, Mental Health First Aid. And I spent, I don't know, five hours in this course with people like Don Schwartz, Matt Kredich, mm-hmm. and a few others. The three of us learned so much inside of that course. And in in talks with, with my family lately, we've been saying, okay, okay, Mike, this is enough. Like, we got to start making some decisions here about what we're going to pair back. For us, you know, especially for young coaches who are motivated, it's always, okay, give me something, give me something else, you know, th- throw me the next right, challenge. Right. So, you know, learning to have some strategies to mitigate some of that is so important. So ASCA is seminally involved with that. I think at Fitter and Faster, we've been really involved with, with bringing that conversation to the table with uh, the coach's corner. Good, good. How well do you know some of the uh, Ivy League coaches and have you talked to any of them about the the decision that apparently just came down on winter sports over there? I think that's it's a similar experience for many of them and and a similar experience for the Division three coaches that have gone through the same thing. So the NESCAC, which is your schools like Williams, Amherst, Tufts, Middlebury, those really great academic schools that also mm-hmm. perform extraordinarily well at the Division three championships, they, they have no season now. Yeah. Um, you know, that's really challenging. Now, some of those Ivy League schools where you have some athletes who could potentially make an impact at Olympic trials, I think it'd be easier for them because there's still that goal in mind. Right. But for those athletes where the Ivy League championships is their biggest meet. Yeah, that was it. It's it's pretty devastating. You know, um, Michaela had the opportunity to have one more year of eligibility this year at NC State. And, and she would have loved to swim for Braden and, and Mark Bernardino another year. But she also had the chance to go swim in the ISL and, and finish her degree for NC State and and get the pro opportunity and and actually have a meet schedule and, you know, try to make a, a final championship meet in, in preparation for Olympic trials this summer. I think it was just the right move. And, you know, the, the situation forced her hand. Yeah, I'm, I'm, there's a lot of individual spots. We, we talked to Mike at Notre Dame and uh, Zach, had, Zach had to make a decision based on uh, where he wants to be for trials next year. And, and so he, he lost a good D-man there. That's It's just going to happen, uh, unfortunately. I do want to point out that Mike Licksinger is a, a proud Western New York resident. Yes. <laughs> so he's representing our area extraordinarily well at Notre Dame. We enjoyed talking to him. That was that was a, a fun chit-chat, too. Um, yeah, he swam right there in Geneva for uh, Mr. Beaudry. Yes, at Hobart. Hey, um, go ahead and go ahead and hit him with the big one. Okay, well, Mike, we 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 always ask uh, uh, if there's something that you've noticed that uh, as we old guys have coached things that are gone now. We we don't coach them the same way anymore. Uh, but have you seen some things uh, since you were swimming for Chuck and even before that that 
that hasn't changed, some absolutes in our sport that we should keep doing, that we've been doing, and that hasn't has not changed, that you don't see any changes coming? I'm so glad you asked me this question because this is something that we talk about all the time on our staff at the Victor Swim Club. And my mentor at Marist College, Larry Van Wagner, he swam for Charles Sylvia at Springfield College. And in 1973, Coach Sylvia came up with four basic principles that govern all four strokes, and he called them the big four. And so the application of those four movements, in my opinion, has not changed since that time. And we continue to coach that way. And when we watch the best in the world swim, they epitomize the big four. So that's something that not a lot of coaches my age know. And I, I was very fortunate to, uh, to have spent that time with Larry and to have him test me and quiz me on the big four every single day. I think All right, pause, pause right there. Cause this is where Dana is going to insert in this podcast, a huge <laughs> drum roll. Cause this is, this is really going to be good. All right. Now <laughs> roll it. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I mean, this, this has been such a, uh, a great time because the big four for me is critical in the way that we teach our strokes and how we how we teach our athletes how to move. And one thing that Sylvia did before a lot of other coaches, he wanted to create a library of physical movement. So a, a hot topic word in coaching today is, is physical literacy. I learned very early in my coaching career while working for Larry Van Wagner at Marist College, and as the 22-year-old head coach of Marist Swim Club, um, to embrace the philosophical ideas from Coach Charles Sylvia from Springfield College. Now, Coach Sylvia and Coach Councilman were kind of going back and forth in the early 70s and mid-70s about stroke technique. And of course, Doc had been using the notion of Bernoulli's principle to explain propulsive factors in swimming. And Coach Sylvia had come up with some physiological principles that could be applied to technique and that were applied to all four strokes. And these principles were called the big four. And essentially the big four are four movements that are exactly similar in all four strokes, just applied a little bit differently. And the big four, I can, I could tell you this in my sleep because Coach Van Wagner made sure that uh, I knew this and our athletes knew this. And I've tried to carry that tradition on into the, the other teams that I've coached. So uh, without further ado, the big four, the first one is shoulder girdle elevation and upper scapular rotation. The second one is shoulder joint medial rotation and elbow joint flexion. The elbow joint flexion being the, the anchor part of all four strokes. Mm -hmm. The third part of the big four is shoulder joint adduction. So to bring the arms in towards the body in downward scapular rotation. And then the fourth one, and this is the most important part because as swimming coaches and as technicians, we want to be as inertial as possible. So Larry used to say, 
We want our athletes to be inertial, not muscular. So the fourth part of the big four is the inertial round off and release of the hands and partial supination. Partial supination meaning the hands on all four strokes are entering towards the pinky. So that's the big four. All right. Hey, that, thanks for sharing that. And, uh, that's yeah, pretty I, awesome. It really is. Um, I'm curious as to when you start, um, trying to instill the big four ideas with the younger swimmers and how you change the language. Cause some of them are going to be wide open eyes and not understanding supination or adduction and so on. How do you do that? Exactly. So this is where my belief in, in coaching age group swimmers really stems from something that I, I heard Greg Troy say one time. And Greg said, the, the best coaches in this country are the 10 and under coaches. They have the toughest job of communicating these complex movements in simplest terms. So they're the teacher coaches that, that make our, our job look really good. We essentially are making sure that each coach in our program understands the big four. It's the first piece of paper that you get when you work for us is a sheet with Coach Sylvia's big four on it. And it clearly says 1973 um, because I, I want people to understand that the, the best athletes in the world have been using this as a guiding principle. Those coaches take it and they're able to put it into their terms. So we're not really using Sylvia terms, I'd say probably until they reach the senior prep level in our in our team, which is about age 11 or 12, depending on where that athlete is in their development. So the first time they'll hear shoulder girdle elevation is probably right around 11 or 12 years old. And we, we really benefit from my time with Larry because he uses something called a proprio bench, proprio short for proprioception. And so basically what it is, is that it's a bench about two feet off the ground. You lay your body on it and then we show them how these movements work on dry land. Um, and then we have them applied in the water. Now you can't rotate on the proprio bench, but we, we make sure to explain to them that that's how it works. Now, if I had the time and the carpentry skills, <laughs> I would create the proprio bench to rotate that you'd be able to rotate your hips while using it. But, um, we've really benefited from, from my time with Larry and certainly from the, the principles that he instilled with us from his time with coach Sylvia at Springfield. Hey Mike, while we've been talking, I know, I know you're a coach owned program, but you have been using the terms like we and us, not me and my, and I think that's a, a real credit to the way you look at your program. It's not all about you and your team. It's an us and a we, a we before me. I like it. Oh, well, thank you. And, and it, it is intentional language um, because I really think that as far as coaching acumen, I might be the, th the second or third guy <laughs> down the totem pole on our staff. We're, we're just so fortunate to have. <laughs> A, a dynamic staff. So I, I appreciate that. Every day you need to be defining movements for your athletes so that, that you're increasing their library of movement. And, and the more they're aware, uh, uh, the more the kinesthetic awareness that they have and, and proprioception, boy, the faster they're going to learn that stroke and the more they're going to apply it correctly in practice. No argument there. 
That's great. Like it applies in our dry land too. A big, big portion of it in dry land. Yeah. And I, I really enjoy following Vern Gambetta and Gain and, and Chris Webb and Chris Plum, what some of those guys have done with that stuff. Oh, yeah. Good. We copy just about everything Chris does. <laughs> yeah. You know, I've, I've been in this a long time, and I thought I knew an awful lot about dry land. But NC2A's was at Indianapolis a couple years ago, and Chris came in from Carmel and gave us a talk at the uh, NISCA conference about the dry land program at Carmel and blew me away. Had right. the videos going like, man, I'd never thought of doing that exercise that way. Absolutes. Absolutes. Things things that, that we got to keep doing. You know, I, I think right now the, the biggest thing that we need to continue to do and learn is how to connect to our athletes mentally and emotionally. For me, that's the first thing that I'm thinking about. The last decade of my career, the first thing I was thinking about was, Practice starts at exactly seven o'clock and it ends at exactly nine o'clock. What can I do inside of this window? Now it's okay. The first person I see, how am I going to connect with them and how am I going to get them in a state to where they're going to want to perform? So uh, the absolutes for me right now are, are how to connect mentally and emotionally with your athletes. Very good. They're going to want to repeat an experience that is enjoyable or challenging or gives them some sense of uh, self-fulfillment, and they're all different. And that's the job of the coach, is to figure out how best to reach each kid. And I think you really nailed it there. We've got to make that connection at the beginning of practice, or they're not even going to get in practice. Oh, that's exactly right. And, you know, in my younger days, as a young coach, you know, you focus a lot on talking about the importance of attendance. and now. You know, when an athlete misses, my first inclination in the old days would be to hammer him the next time I saw him. Bob Bowman has this great quote when he said, I was a younger coach. I had one tool in my toolbox and it was a hammer. And I just went around hammering everybody. And I think that a lot of coaches could share that experience. And now it's like, hey, let, let's talk about yesterday. Where were you? Oh, you know, I, my mom had a, a, a retirement party for her secretary and, you know, she really wanted me to go. And, you know, you connect and you say, you know, that's I'm so glad you went to that. You know, that, that must have meant a lot to your mom and a, and a lot to your mom's secretary who's known you since you were a kid. So all of a sudden this kid realizes that you value the person that he or she is. And the world is, you know, the sky is the limit after that. Right. That's the yeah. sort of thing that, that your teammates would understand, too. You, you didn't go home and play uh, Call of Duty. You, you, you had something important to go do. Uh, that's exactly right. Speaking of, of, of missing, uh, you missed Victor for a while. I've been in and out of Bay City a few times. Uh, they keep dragging me back in and, and, and I don't complain. It's a, it's a real good place to work. And, and the kids are working real hard for me. When you left Victor and came back, what, what was that like to come back? Uh, my, my very good friend, who is the, uh, assistant coach at Yale. The first day I came back, he said, doesn't it feel so good to just be home? And it was kind of a poignant moment for me. We loved our experience on Long Island. We had a wonderful time. We really helped that team grow. The reason we left Victor in the first place was at the time they, they had a great board, but I wanted to own the team. 
And so it, it basically came down to, I love you guys. I'll, I'll always love this place. But, you know, right now I, I have, I'm in a position where I can own a team and, and I'd like to do that. And my family was behind it. And so we went down there and, and it was great. And about spring of the end of our second year, we had just gotten back from a great training trip. And Victor called me and said, hey, listen, we'll do anything. <laughs> and I said, I said, OK, here are the here are the three boxes. And they they checked all of them and they have been wonderful partners ever since. Great. I guess you could go home again. That's um, that's wonderful. Yeah. And so uh, the coach owned program, uh, you got contract with the uh, school district and uh, other pools in the area. We have. Yes. So we have we have contracts at different pools. You know, the ultimate goal right now for our admin team, even through this pandemic, has been planning and strategizing with corporate sponsorship on how to get our own hole in the ground dug. And what that's going to look like and. We're, we're moving in that direction. You know, we've been very fortunate to where, you know, we have athletes joining our team even during those strange times. We got some big things planned. Uh, I just want to thank you for your time. I know you've, you know, you've still got so much to do with these added responsibilities from being on the board with ASCA. And I guess you're just like so many other coaches, you know, putting in 12, 13 hours a day and giving us this this hour to uh, join our mediocre podcast is very much appreciated. (laughs) Was there anything that we didn't cover that you want to want to throw at us? Well, I'm so appreciative that you guys are doing this and, you know, we're kind of seeing the golden age of the swimming podcasts and the swim club podcasts. And as a younger coach, these types of opportunities were, were only accessible if you went to the world clinic. And for a lot of our younger coaches these days who are still paying back their student loans or might be graduate assistance and have trouble traveling, they might not have those opportunities. And so for me, you know, and and I look at this as part of my position on the ASCA board is to say to young coaches, you know, don't be afraid to walk up to some of these master coaches that we have around. I remember conversations I've had with Greg Troy in the parking lot about 400 IM training Mm -hmm. or asking Bob Bowman in a warm down pool to take a look at something. And, And they're willing to do that. And I think there's so many young coaches who have so much passion to offer, and they're just afraid to kind of take that first step. And then the other thing is, this is a career that is really a life choice. And and I've seen a lot of great young coaches burn out after a couple of years. I think it's important to understand that when you decide to go into this profession, that it's really a life choice. And if you do it the right way and you make the right relationships and you create opportunities for yourself, you can make a good living. It, it's darn hard work. But like Bill Rose says to me all the time, coaching sure beats working. <laughs> there ahead. aren't that many professions where you can go to work every day in shorts and a T-shirt and comfortable uh, shoes and uh, be properly dressed. Albeit uh, wet shoes, but yeah, you're right. I, I, I love it. Mike, is it safe <clears throat> to say that if, if there are any coaches out there listening to this, that they can get a hold of you with any any questions that they might have, uh, that you'd be more than willing to to get back to them? Oh, absolutely. I, I welcome it because it, it helps me create content for the things that we do at, at Fitter and Faster. Um, and they can get a hold of me by emailing me. It's just Coach Murray 3M, as in Mike, at gmail.com, or Coach Murray 3M on Instagram. 
uh, or Mike Murray on Facebook. You certainly get a hold of me that way. Um, or you can email me at Fitter and Faster if you have questions for for hosting a clinic or anything like that. It's just mm at fitterfaster.com. We will include all of these in the uh, details about the episode. And I got to tell you about Fitter and Faster. When first I heard about it, I thought it said fatter and fatter, and I thought it was going to be a perfect place for me and Bob to get involved. <laughs> <laughs> the, the Buoyant Masters Open Water Swim Clinic. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Mike, thanks for your time joining us today and uh, much success on however this season uh, seems to twist and turn. But um, sounds like you've got a great handle on your kids and um, you're certainly doing it for the right reasons. Thank you. Yeah, well, take I, it easy and stay warm. I really appreciate it, guys, and, and keep putting the stuff out that you're doing. And I reference the book quite often. So, uh, you know, I, I love that stuff. Keep it going. And I really appreciate your time. I'm, I'm humbled and honored to be on. Thanks, Mike. Bye-bye. Again, thanks so much. Really appreciate it. I, I love the episode you did with Bill. Help us spread the word about this, uh, this pinnacle of mediocrity. <laughs> <laughs> All right. See All right, you later. This episode of Swim Talk A2B has been sponsored by EddieReeseBook.com. The inspiring and enlightening book about legendary coach Eddie Reese would make a perfect holiday gift for any swimmer, coach, or swimming parent, or anyone else desiring to have a more meaningful and impactful life. Order now at EddieReeseBook.com. That's EddieReeseBook.com.